Loki, welcome inside the crazy ant farm, man. How are you tonight? Oh, man, I'm doing great. Great now. <laughs> now I'm here. Fantastic. You don't want to know what was happening before. Oh, no. oh, oh, well, maybe we'll moment. get into that a little later. All right, exactly. <laughs> so Crazy sorry. is in the name. That's so, right. I mean, you know, we like to have a little fun with it, like to have a little fun with it. But at the very beginning of all of our interviews, we want to introduce our guests to our audience because we brand this podcast on for uh, helping up-and-comers trying to break into the entertainment industry. So for you, was it something you always wanted to do or did you just kind of fall into it? Um, I grew into it at the oh, end okay. of a journey of self-discovery mm. where we're getting real deep right away. Right. Um, <laughs> we love deep. You know, I grew up in a family that, you know, my father uh, is a doctor. My mother has a science background and, and there was no artist in my family. There was no one saying, Oh, you know, you could, you could, I didn't even know that filmmaking was a career. Mm. Um, so what I knew was that I love, I loved movies. Like I was that kid who on a Saturday night with my friends would say, Hey, let's go to the movies. And my friends would be like, no, let's go out and like go to a party, <laughs> do something fun. Um, and I was just always like, but movies are fun. You know, right. I, uh, so, you know, I, I basically, um, there's a little bit more to the story. We get deep into it if you want to, but essentially I started making short films in college and I just fell deeper and deeper in love with it. And then when I moved back to New York city, where I'm from after college, I started working as crew. So mm -hmm. I was pretty much every kind of assistant. I was an additional PA on how to lose a guy in 10 days, that Matthew McConaughey movie. Yeah. And I, I worked on tiny movies. I worked on big movies. I did every kind of production job and I was making short films at the same time. And then I got into film school. That's sort of what happened. There's a little more, there's a little more, depending yeah. on where a conversation goes, I'll tell you. <laughs> That's uh, fantastic. Well, first of all, we love to hear that uh, because we're filmmakers ourselves and, uh, yeah, you know, along with the podcast and we just finished directing our first film. It's a short film. Yes. So, and we've been yes. following along that same type thing. My very first experience in it was a short film in college that kind of mm -hmm. said, Ooh, I kind of like this. I, I, I kind of want to do this and have been doing the same thing, working on large productions, small productions. And, and now we have our own company and, and just right. finished the first film. And so we love to talk to like-minded individuals. So mm -hmm. that's fantastic, man. Especially. Oh, amazing. Absolutely amazing. It was my first time ever on set. Uh, <laughs> yep. First thing ever shot. Uh, we directing it, directed it together. Yep. So right. it was absolutely amazing. But it's great for the up and comers that are listening to the show to hear that. Just to get on a set, no matter what you are yes. doing, just be sure to get on a set. Even if you're fetching coffee, you can still take that time to learn from every different aspect of being on set and being around these like-minded creative individuals. It's really important that the experience you'll get on set will just make you such a stronger director because mm. you know what all the departments are doing you know how it works and you can set foot in on set in a production and really be in command and not and not have to worry about some detail of the filmmaking process that you don't understand That's but right. the part that the part that i that i left out which i think is relevant to people who are up and coming is that when i went to college i was actually pretty i knew i loved films but i was pretty directionless in what i wanted to do and like i yeah. said i didn't I didn't know that this was even a career or something that could be pursued. Mm -hmm. And I actually was studying something else at college of studying business, which is not a bad thing to study if it's who you are. And right. when I, when I, I was about to sign up for that major after taking all these prerequisites you had to take, I remember I was holding a letter saying I could, it was accepted into the major and that letter felt like, uh, an anvil tied to a rope tied right. to my ankle standing on it. Like it felt wrong. 
Yes. And, and I, and I had to take that moment as a, as the young uh, adult and just say, I don't really know what's going on here, but I know this, this path isn't my path. And so that, that led me to make the choices to find what was my path. Mm, love that because that's part of it, right? You have to have that realization and that, that, that know-how of saying, this isn't right for me. I'm, I'm not sure maybe where I'm going, but I know this isn't where I should be going because a lot of times I think people get trapped and they feel like yeah. this must be what I'm supposed to do. And then I'm going to get married at this age and have the house at this age. And just like yeah. they get trapped into that. And so you got to have that self-awareness to say, this isn't what I'm meant to do. So that's yeah. extremely important. I'm glad you shared that. I think that's, I think that's exactly right. It doesn't mean that you don't need the practical thing too, because the filmmaking right. business is not a simple, like, Oh, I went to med school and now I'm a doctor. You That's know? right. <laughs> um, so I always, you know, try to mentor young filmmakers to just be thinking about what they can do to support their lives while they're pursuing their dream. That's right. That's right. I love it. Absolutely love it. But something I also really want to talk about is your directorial debut, which is Dare. And that yes. started off as a short film and then turned into a feature. You got to love YouTube, right? I mean, the reaction that you can get <laughs> from the global audience, especially because of the internet, and then to be able to make this special project, especially to you as the director and then turn it into a feature and continue to tell such an important story so what was that like did you always plan for it to be a feature and start out as a short or did you just shoot the short intending it just to be the short no like like almost everything uh in my early career it was discovered um i made that short at the in in at the end of my first year in film school as a part of a uh, uh an exercise where everyone had to direct a film that someone else wrote so oh, okay. I had never directed someone else's writing and the writer, David, Brenda and I connected over this project and we made it as a part of that exercise. And then afterwards, the film really left you with a feeling of, you could say, what happens next? Right. And, um, uh, and I, I went to David and basically said, we should turn this into a feature. And that, that's really what started that process. Four and a half years later, we made it. Wow. That's amazing. So it took that long. Hey. It, it's it's like not uncommon either, right? Like a lot of these short films are developed into just like another one off the top of my head that I can think of as a whiplash. That was that was a really successful short film, right? That that became a feature film. Yeah. Um, I mean, it seems because a lot of people I think shy away from oh, short films. I don't want to do a short film. I want to do a feature. I want to you know. But short films are so important in, in, in as directors and and anybody really to to that stepping stone to a feature length, right? That it's invaluable learning experience to be able to do. And you were lucky enough to have like Rooney Mara. I mean, hello. In the feature. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Her her first starring role. Yeah. That's, that's unbelievable. I mean that the talent alone right there. uh, How, how did you go about that? What was the casting process like for the feature? Did you have particular people that you were set on or how did that all go about for you? Um, We had a really incredible casting director. His name is Carrie Barden. And, um, the, the actually the the process of casting Rooney Mara I think, I think is interesting and just speaks to her talent, which is that we it was a role we couldn't cast. So we saw maybe like we saw so many people. I want to say seventy five actors in New York just kept wow. coming in, and and we were just like, this isn't right. This isn't right. This isn't right. And one day Carrie called us and said, Hey, you really got to see this young actress Rooney Mara. Actually, it was Trisha Mara at the time. She changed <laughs> right. her name to Ro- She changed her name to her middle name uh, during the shoot. Oh, wow. And, um, and uh, we, she came in and read for us and we were immediately like, yeah, yes, her, it's her. It's absolutely her. So she just was so clearly, you know, rise above the rose above the crowd mm. to stand out. 
Well, what I was going to say about casting a high school movie is that, um, you know, there are very few actors who can play teenage who are what you would call bankable, mm-hmm. you know, who are someone that like, if you get this person in your movie, you can finance the movie at XYZ number. Right. Very few actors who can do that anyway, but there's even less who are younger. So it's actually quite a freeing experience <laughs> to make a teen movie because in the end, you can kind of cast whoever you want. There you go. And, and most of those actors will come in and actually read for you, um, which is, I think, the auditioning experience. I, I love auditions. You get a chance to work with the actors and, and see how the scenes play. And it's a really right. wonderful, it's stressful experience for, for actors and everyone, but it's a wonderful uh, learning experience too. So you get to do that if you make a high school movie. Mm. Yes. I love that. I love that. And I also want to talk about I Smile Back, uh, Sarah Silverman's yeah. first like dramatic role. Let's yes. talk about that a little bit. Did you find this script as well? Or did you just uh, have another friend that wrote something else and you were like, this is absolutely amazing and this is what I want to make? So I want to say there are, I've counted them, a, about four or five laughs and I smile back and yeah. none of them are from Sarah's character. Ah, there you um, go. So it is straight <laughs> drama. And she, she is incredible in the film. I mean, I'm biased. I'm the director. I can say that, but, but it really is right. true. It's really eye-opening to see her work in this film. Um, so it's, a, you know, dare was a project I developed from the ground up with right. uh, that, that uh, uh, with the writer, David. Mm-hmm. And I smile back was actually a project that I read. Okay. So okay. It, it came to me from a meeting with one of the producers mm-hmm. and, and I read it and I, I was really moved by it. Um, it's the story of a, a mother who's struggling with uh, mental illness and addiction, mm-hmm. trying to keep it together from her family. And um, uh, sadly, that was very connected to um, one of my best friends. So I, I, mm-hmm. I, I, even though uh, it was about a mother with two kids, I understood the journey. And um, that began a discussion with the producers about, you know, what what the movie would be like if I made it. And ultimately, I did come on board to direct it. And about six months later, we were shooting that film. Wow. Sarah had been attached for for years before I even knew the project existed. Wow. And, I mean, I mean, no, we, and we talk about this all the time, mental mental health and mel- mental health awareness, such an mm-hmm. issue right now in society today. So sure. anytime that we can use any platform to get that out there and, and to say, hey, this is something that needs to be paid attention to. This is something that, that needs to be addressed and do it in a way through entertainment, right? Because people, mm-hmm. people pay more attention for whatever reason, if it's something entertainment related, right? You'll listen to the message in a film as opposed to sure. somebody talking to you. So it's so important for the arts to be able to do that. So that's great. Well, one of the most meaningful parts of that journey would be screening the film and having people come up to me afterwards and start to tell me their personal stories. And, um, you know, you always, you live for that as a filmmaker to get those kinds of reactions from an audience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And And then there are people who can't take it, you know, it's too, uh, feels too real to them or, you know, and that they want to look away and maybe they're not ready to, to to hear the message at that point. Yep. Yeah. yeah, makes complete sense because a lot of people, I feel like they're afraid to confront problems, which makes sense because we're all afraid of something. And especially me dealing with my own mental health and everything like that, just trying to face it head on can be very difficult sometimes. But when it comes in content form, I feel that helps me realize mm-hmm. things better. That's what we say all the time, like he said, that content is a great way to spread awareness about something, even if it's something about yourself that you have not yet conquered or yet tackled or even yet confronted with yourself. So I feel like, you know, movies and television are very important <laughs> for today's society. You know, 
independent film, which is how I got my start, often attracts people who want to tell deeply personal stories. And one of, one yes. of the interesting things is a little bit of a segue to Intrusion, the film that I just made, is that it's my st first studio film. It's an entertaining film. Uh, it's a thriller, but I still had personal reasons for making that film. So I've, I found that you can, um, you know, you, you can transition into making uh, work that will be on a larger platform and that more, more people may be exposed to dealing with maybe perhaps more universal themes and still be deeply connected to the story you're telling. Mm -hmm. Love that. Well, okay, so let's jump into it. We've both watched the trailer, and whoo, oh, okay. that's pretty intense. <laughs> that definitely um, suspense thriller that's going to have people on the edge of their seats, no doubt. That's the idea. That's the plan. <laughs> Intrusion, that should give everything away, That at least what it's about, right? Um, sure. So, yeah, and you've got a great cast, Frida Pinto and Lo Logan Marshall Green. Not this Logan, but Logan Marshall Green. The next um, one. We'll be in the next one. <laughs> and, and New Mexico. You shot in New Mexico, Albuquerque. Uh, a lot of yeah. people don't realize that that is starting to become a very big market, a booming market. Yeah. Netflix has invested a lot of money in that area. Um, a lot of studios have. Santa Fe is booming. Um, mm -hmm. So talk about that. Talk about that whole process. Was that always the goal to shoot in Albuquerque, or how did that all go down? Well, first, I just want to say I'm, I'm so excited about this movie coming out. I hope people will watch the trailer, and it comes out on September 22nd on Netflix. Um, it's, it's a suspense thriller. Oh, yeah. uh, has some really big surprises and scares and, and a lot of uh, uh, thrills in it. Um, it's a story about Henry and Mira, this amazing couple. Um, he's an architect. He's a uh, therapist and breast cancer survivor. And in the wake of her going into remission, they move to a small town to reconnect and start a new chapter in their life. When their house gets broken into twice in so many days, the wife, played by Frida Pinto, starts to uh, wonder why exactly they moved to this town and who the people closest to her really are. So it's, it's a film about the terrifying unknowability of people. Yes. And how that blind spot, there's nothing scarier than that blind spot with the people closest to you. Um, so anyway, but you didn't ask me. You asked me about... Uh, no, that was fantastic, man. We did shoot... And we did shoot um, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I did just want to talk about the film for a second, but we did shoot in Albuquerque. And here's an interesting fact about the film. It was written to take place in Maine. Oh, okay. When I, when I read the script originally, it took place in Maine and it was a house in the woods. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and I was interested in that because I've actually spent a bunch of time in Maine and my life is a very beautiful state. But the reality is that um, we shot this film during the fall of 2020 at, during the pandemic. And, hmm we needed to go to a place that had uh, more robust production support so that we could make sure that we could make the film safely. And as you mentioned, Netflix has a very um, big footprint in Albuquerque with studios right. and there's incredible crews there. And we, and we knew that we could uh, accomplish it more safely. So all of a sudden it went from house in the woods to house in the desert, which I actually was thrilled by because there's been so many genre films that are sort of, house in the remote woods you know right, but there haven't right. been a lot where you're in the desert where you're just kind of in the middle of the no nowhere in this harsh landscape and i thought that that actually was something that really excited me and i think it really adds something to the film absolutely absolutely yeah. so you roll with it as a director things change and you say oh <laughs> the desert right That's even better <laughs> even better even often better. these things you didn't plan for just actually 
become when once you make the film you just think i couldn't picture it any other way that's true that's true exactly and i mean with it being a film set it something is bound to go wrong was there anything that went wrong while you were filming or was it just the trying to adapt and learn the whole covid protocols and the groups and lanes and different things where to place people I'm going to talk about how to make lemons out of lemonade. There we go. <laughs> so that, so that answer is yes. <laughs> so, so basically the thing that went wrong, which is, which as it turns out is very common on um, all of the production that that's happened over the last two years mm -hmm. is that we did inevitably have a shutdown. Okay. So we had a moment where there were some positive tests and we had to just stop and make sure that, you know, th that we were being as safe as possible. Right. Um, that, that, you know, could have been really disruptive for the film. Um, but what ended up happening was I actually used that time to continue prepping the remainder of the movie. Okay. So the cinematographer, Eric Lynn, the AD, Kate Bogle, and myself went to the location and we shot a previs of the climactic action sequence with the iPhone. Mm -hmm. And we sent it to our editor, Ben Bodwin, and he cut it together with some temp score. And we actually got to see, oh, okay, this concept is really going to work. And then we spent the rest of the time um refining the shot list for the remainder of the shoot and then on top wow. of that thank thank god no one got sick wow so we had positive tests but no illness and um everyone was fine and uh and we were able to make the the plan for the film exponentially better and strangely i, I actually have become a big proponent that all films should do this N not not the shutdown right, right. just like <laughs> prep shoot yes. two weeks of the film or two and a half maybe three, and then take a just a couple days and really think about what you have left and then go in with an even better plan. Of course, that's probably gonna cost something. So somewhere there's a line producer who's uh, shifting uncomfortably in their seat, but I just know this would make films better. No doubt, no doubt. Well, and the technology to make that available, right? I love how you said, oh yeah, we went and we took the iPhone and we shot it and then we sent it to the editor. We did the whole previs stuff, right? Like yeah. that's not even possible, you know, 25 years ago, 20 years yeah. ago. It's like, you're not grabbing a phone, going shooting some stuff and being to edit right away. That's amazing. And I love that you directing is you have to be a visionary, right? You have to be like, oh, okay, this happens. And there's always got to be a contingency. There's always got to be a fallback. And sometimes you have to be a visionary and go, well, I got an idea. I know what we can do during this shutdown. So that's brilliant, man. Thank you. Well, you know, look, you prep like crazy. You know, you go, you go into the film, I think, with a, almost an, an, a paper edit of the movie in your right. mind. And also even I have this giant binder. It's like this thick with every scene <laughs> broken down into what it could be. And then you get on set and, and you, and you have, look, that plan may be what it ends up being, but also sometimes inevitably someone has a better idea, the DP, the actors, whatever. And you just think, okay, well, actually we're going to do that. And then all of a sudden, you know, however many hours of work you spent on that scene, you just tuck away and, and you have to um, be willing to improvise. So every, every film production is like that. And this was no different. You need to be aware of not having an ego and what an ego yeah. can do, right? Because like what you just said, okay, I, I'm the director, I'm the guy, I'm this, I'm that, but somebody might have a better idea. Somebody yeah. might have a legit, and it's all about getting the best possible product, right? So if you have yes. that ego and you like, no, I, this is my film, this is how I want it, and you, you might miss out on something that could have potentially made your film better, yeah. and it's you got to be aware of that. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a strange thing that it's not a democracy, but it's also not a dictatorship. That's right. So there's somewhere in the middle where, 
I believe the director has to come with a very, you know, you could call it a vision, but a very strong, very strong set of ideas or a concept of what it is you're setting out to do and, and why. And then at that point, it's open for discussion with your team and your collaborators. So, you know, I mean, I had the most incredible team, you know, Frida Pinto playing Mira, Logan Marshall Green playing Logan. I mean, those actors were, they were amazing. And I think that people are really going to be surprised by them in this film. This is, this is, Frida has never done a thriller like this, never done a film like this before. So it's, it's going to really, I think, open people's eyes to a different side of her. And Logan is different in everything. You know, he's kind of a chameleon and that's really perfect for, for this role as well. So I'm really excited for people to see where he takes this story. Yeah, agreed. I loved him in Upgrade. That was a phenomenal film. Just like Upgrade is great. I, I bet this one is just going to be absolutely great. And with it's exciting to have you on because everybody knows as we've been talking about the whole interview. If anybody's been listening, <laughs> is uh, you being a director and directing this for a streaming outlet. Mm, so yeah. with that, and right now in the pandemic, there's same day release theatrical schedules. So how do you feel about? the streaming wars and versus theatrical release. Are you okay with it? Are you not? I mean, we saw Christopher Nolan's stance with the whole HBO Max thing. So it's always curious just to get everybody's opinions on it. I want to be recruited into the streaming wars. Yes. <laughs> I want to sign up. Um, look, I think, I think the reality is that there are films that, you know, every filmmaker would love for their film to be seen on a big screen with an audience. So it's just, right. it's hard to, to, to beat that. Right. But that being said that there are, that there are some films that really work better in that space. Mm -hmm. And then there are some films, some films that might work better at home on your giant TV or projector, whatever you have. So I, th I think it's a great thing when, when, you know, when we started working on Netflix in this film, we started to talk about the release you know, all they have to say, they, this is what, this is what it is. You know, it's going to, it's going to be released on September 22nd to, to over 200 million subscribers. That's right. In 30, I'm going to butcher this, 37 or 36 languages. That's right. Around the world like that. And, you know, my, again, I come from the independent film world where you make your film, hopefully you get into a great film festival, you sell it. And then you're lucky if it plays anywhere from two to 50 screens. That's right. You know? And we're talking about, you know, again, if you're lucky, thousands to maybe hundreds of thousands of people seeing your film. And right. now we're talking like immediately, I don't know how many people are going to see this film, but it's going to be a lot. And, and I, I'm so thrilled by that. And I've, this is the first film I've ever made for a studio, first film I've ever made for, for a streamer. So maybe we'd have to talk again and I'll tell you how it went. Oh, fantastic. And congratulations. Congratulations, of course. And the global reach, right? Like you said, they say this and immediate, you're like, holy cow. Because even, even when studios release theatrically, to get that type of a, a reach, to get that type of an audience is rare, right? I mean, it's, it's not really rare. It's not every I mean, film you... that gets 4,000 screens and plays in every territory. It, so to get when Netflix and, and these other streamers say, you're going to get this, right? I mean, you have to be like, okay, that's pretty damn good. It's amazing. I mean, yeah. you, you know, if you have to spend tens of millions of dollars to put uh, trailers on television, mm -hmm. okay? Right. For, for a film on Netflix, mi millions and millions of people are just going to turn on Netflix. And as you probably noticed, when you do that, very often there is something new that comes up in, mm -hmm. the, in the sort of home bar 
car and a trailer starts playing or a scene starts playing. And all of a sudden you think you just realize, Oh, I've been watching this scene for the last three minutes. Maybe I'll just watch the movie or, Oh, that trailer looks really cool. I mean, it's really, the, the reach is unbelievable. And I think for, for storytelling, I mean, that it's just, there, there really isn't a better platform out there. So, um, one thing is certain on September 22nd, a lot of people are going to be scared. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) I have one question though, as directors ourselves. And and I'm curious because we hear these back and forth all the time with, with Netflix. And one of the things that people say they like the most about it, as opposed to say the Walt Disney's and the stuff like that. Did you have a lot of autonomy during, during the whole thing? Because we hear all the time, you know, there's always a studio rep and they're always there looking and they're always saying, well, we like this, but we really want this. And we've heard that it's not quite like that with Netflix, that you do get this sense of autonomy and they kind of stay out of it. Here's your money, shoot your film. This is what we agreed to. Is that true? So I had heard that going into making the film and I can report that it it's true in the sense that it was incredibly creatively supportive, like incredibly. It doesn't mean that, and by the way, I don't think any creator filmmaker would want this. So, so I had heard making this film about that, about the creative freedom at Netflix. And I can report that it is true, but it, but it's, uh, and it was, and it was wonderful that there was a, there was a lot of support creatively for what we're doing, but it's not, but it's not that they just don't give you any feedback or don't give you any response. And, and I would say that as a, as a creator, a filmmaker, a director, you actually don't want that. Mm-hmm. What, what you want is to work with creative partners and collaborators who are going to tell you the truth about what they see and give you ideas for how to improvement, mm-hmm. how to improve it. And, and that was true on the script phase. They did have thoughts on the script and they were really great, you know? And then later on during post, they had thoughts on the, on the edit as well. And they were also really great. And I can say that we, we did, I think almost every single one of them, not because we felt scared or something like that, but because it was just, we looked at me and said, yes, we should do that. We should try that. You know? Right. Um, it was really, it was, it was incredibly creatively supportive in that way. And there was, there was never any moment that, you know, reminded me of a story I had heard or, or something or read in variety or whatever about, you know, a filmmaker having a conflict with, you know, the, the, the distributor of the film was Absolutely. never like that. Definitely. Definitely. Well, we have to say thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Promoting the film. I mean, everybody's going to absolutely love it. At least we're going to love it. And I mean, <laughs> that's really all that matters. <laughs> well, draw me a line after you see it. Of know course, of course. But what we like to do at the end of the interviews is have our guests leave a little piece of advice for the up and comers trying to break into the entertainment industry. And what pitfalls would you say to try to avoid? There are so many things, but uh, but I, I think it's an uh, it's it's important to know that uh, pitching mm-hmm. is really the lifeblood of the, this career, and that yes. if if you want want to be a director, you you are going to have to learn uh, some kind of presentational style and some ability to be able to get up in front of anyone, actors, financiers, distributors, producers, executives, agent, and communicate what it is that your story is about, who you are why you and why now, why this project. Mm. And if you can do that and get comfortable with doing that, I think you're going to have a much easier time. Interestingly, no one, I went to film school, but it's like, no one told me that. <laughs> um, I feel like that's maybe more common knowledge now, uh, but no, no one told me that. And I think, I think the, the other thing I would say, which is connected to a pitfall is you really have to make sure that you become a little bit of a juggler. Mm. Directors have to be jugglers. You have to have the project that you are trying to make now or maybe two the project you could make in a year 
the project that could come together in two or three years and then the long-term goal thing, you know, passion projects that, yeah. that maybe would take some chipping away day after day, year after year. And you really don't want to find yourself in a place where you end up making your first feature and you um, get a little traction with it and then you don't have a follow-up. Yeah. So the pit that that would be a big pitfall would be to sort of come out the gate with a, a feature that makes people excited and then not have something else to make right afterwards. Mm. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. We love to hear it. And all the up and comers are going to love this one. And you know, cool. it's all about social media right now. So where can people follow you? Uh, at Adam Salky. That's A-D-A-M-S-A-L-K-Y on Twitter, on Instagram. Easy enough, man. Easy enough. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on the show and getting a little crazy with us, promoting the film. Everybody go watch it. What date again? What date? September 22nd. Yes. Intrusion on Netflix. Intrusion on Netflix, September 22nd. An open invite, man. Anytime you want to come back and and just talk and and shoot the shit with us. And and even if you don't have something to promote, man, this has been a great conversation. And, you know, you're just fantastic, man. Well, take care and and, uh, we'll be in touch soon, buddy. Bye. All right. See, see you later. All right, man. That was really freaking fun. It really was. It's always so fascinating to hear from people behind the camera, mm-hmm. right? And their process as to how they get things. And I love how he just sticks to, okay, I'm doing a, I'm doing a feature. It's a studio film, but I'm an indie filmmaker. Yeah. I, I love how he kept saying that. I'm an indie filmmaker. That You never leave that. No. You never leave that. You never do. And I mean, you guys see, if you're listening to it, you see that it just takes time. It takes years. But if you keep grinding and keep your head down, you will get there, man. You will absolutely get there. Yes. Thank you again, Adam Solke, for coming on the show.